0: Hello again, and welcome to the Planet Beyond podcast, brought to you by Fugro, the leading partner in delivering geodata from the greatest subsea depths right to outer space, and hosted by me, John Baston-Pitt. Last episode, we soared into outer space, and this month, we're going to descend into the subsea depths as we speak to two of the heroes of the Disney Plus hit show, Shipwreck Hunters Australia. That is, as the name suggests, brings to life some of the world's most epic shipwreck stories. If you haven't heard of it, check out the trailer on YouTube and, well, like me, you'll get a burning desire to binge-watch the whole series. I'm joined today by Ryan Chatfield, on-screen talent, camera operator, and director of ocean-based production company Terra Australis. And Brendan Hutchins from Van Media, the director of the series and co-producer. Before we start talking about your careers and journey with with this series, there's one question I've been dying to ask you since we invited you to take part in this episode. What is it like to come face-to-face with a shark?
1: Well, there's nothing can really prepare you to come face to face with a shark, and it always depends on, you know, what that scenario is like. Is it a friendly or is it an aggressive interaction? But it lets you know that you're alive. That's for sure. Any time that you're in the water with sharks, uh, it's it gets a heart pumping, but it's also one of those amazing, unique experiences that you could never ever forget.
0: It must be very different each time too. Are all sharks alike?
1: Oh, well, absolutely. You know the ones with the big sharp teeth are the ones that are. So um, you've got to avoid those big carnivorous fish, but not not always in that sense. Sometimes there are. You know, there's a lot of beauty underwater, from the macro to the to the massive. So uh you just every time you you leave the surface you you never know what you're going to get and that's what's exciting about diving is that is that unknown what what's going to come up to you and and what are you going to see so we treat all the animals that we dive with with the utmost respect and we you know when we dive with sharks it's always a uh a calculated risk and we've learned how to read their their behavior you know it's um that they change when they're very you know they're placid and they're not in hunting mode the way that their body positioning is and the, and the the way that they swim and the way that they turn is 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 different so you need to learn that behavior and uh yeah if, if it looks like it's going to get um uncomfortable we just get out of the water
0: you've enjoyed some unique experiences then How did you get into the life of diving? Did you grow up with salt water in your veins?
1: Sure. So um, I was all set to go to university and become an English teacher. And thankfully, my cousin who owned a dive shop said to me, how would you like to come and wash wetsuits? for your summer break and I thought that was the greatest idea ever. So um, there's a little island off the coast of Perth in Western Australia called Rottnest Island and I made my way over there and much to my parents' um, disgust, I, I, I never came home. I spent the next four and a half years diving on Rottnest Island and I became a scuba instructor teaching diving over there. And then another friend of mine uh, came back one day. He was an instructor as well, and he said, mate, you've got to come and do this commercial diving course where you can learn to weld underwater and and use high-pressure equipment and chainsaws and all this sort of stuff. So real man's diving um, is what he explained it as. And so there I was. I I went and did a three-month course. I had to borrow some money to get it done. And then uh, the rest was history. I, I went into the commercial diving scene. And in that realm, you have to kind of do your apprenticeship like everyone else does. And I did four years of onshore diving in some of the most horrendous diving you could ever think of, like in, in lakes and, and ponds and down, down wells where it's zero visibility and you're more likely to bump into a shopping trolley than you are, you know, any sort of marine life so you, you really learn to cut your teeth in zero visibility in mud and sludge. But once you've done that time, then you get the opportunity to dive offshore, off the rigs in the oil and gas uh, industry here in WA. And it's some of the best diving in the world. Um, crystal clear, deep water with just massive amounts of marine animals that congregate around these oil and gas platforms. It
0: doesn't sound like the sort of location a tourist might go for a diving holiday, though.
1: No, it's not, it's not um, overly attractive and or glamorous at all, but what you learn to do when you dive in really challenging conditions is your skill set uh, accelerates really quickly because you're doing everything by feel and it becomes a very tangible
0: job. So you're doing some really hard diving, building your skills, but also encountering a rich underwater environment. Now, some people might think the area around a rig is going to be like a an industrial site on land, a, a desolate waste, but it's not like that at all, is it? It
1: very quickly becomes habitats for uh, soft corals and hard corals, and then that creates food source, and then everything comes to to live there because it's just abundant marine, you know, source of food for, for small stuff and, and, and the big stuff as well. So you have everything from really macro shrimp to I've been diving and a whale shark has swum through and everything in between, moray eels and stingrays and all types of sharks and sea turtles and y- you name it, um, everything is down
0: there and it's really, really healthy as well. When you're diving on any site, you're, you're using the buddy system to stay safe to make sure you've always got someone watching your back. And the concept of mateship is, is often seen as a core to Australian national identity. Now, these long diving contracts must build a particular sort of
1: mateship in those oil and gas days, you spend a lot of time together with with the guys that you work with four weeks on and four weeks off. And I made some really solid friendships there. And you sort of gravitate towards the people that, you know, as you do, that you have those shared interests with there was a couple of guys in my dive team that love filmmaking and love photography as much as I did. And we sort of gravitated together. And then when we would come home on our four week swing off, we'd go diving again. Uh, But this time we'd be, instead of using high pressure blasters underwater, we'd be using um, cameras and, and making, you know, diving, diving videos or spearfishing videos, or just basically capturing the underwater environment because that's what we love to do. And luckily Fortunately, one of the guys was sort of lucky enough to be a part of a team that found an undiscovered shipwreck and they used to use it as a fishing spot and he got curious and tied his underwater camera to a rope, threw it over the side and then when they brought it up and looked at the vision... It absolutely blew them away. He'd, he'd managed to drift over a, a huge mast of a, of a shipwreck from over 100 years ago that had never been discovered. And so that was the linchpin for us to, to move into documentary filmmaking. We knew we had something really cool there uh, and we wanted to tell the story of that
0: shipwreck. So that's where it, it all kind of kicked off. So how did you pull this incredible team together?
1: Yeah, so we we met Brendan years earlier on, on a on a documentary, a short documentary that we did for Discovery Channel for Shark Week, and we were teamed up uh, as he was our director, and we were we were the talent by another production company. It was sort of two two teams colliding, and we just hit it off. Um, we spent best part of two weeks on a boat uh, in a really remote um, sort of island atoll off the coast of WA, and just just just. Like we'd been best friends forever, you know, just really similar interests, really similar passions and goals, and just wanted to make something really cool.
2: You do projects like this; they are they take everything, you know. You you you're with each other for you know. We've been working on this Disney project for between when I first came on board and started working on it with the guys to when it was released is three years. It's a three year span, and you're out on these incredible missions these expeditions to remote places you become very very close
0: once you got the core of your team together and this really cool idea for a show was it easy to get a tv network on board
2: well it's all about timing isn't it with these things (laughs) it's sort of um, the right place right time right idea as Ryan said, we we had worked on this incredible um, short doco years ago, and then we'd been working up this shipwreck idea. They had this particular wreck that they wanted to make a documentary about. So initially, it was just going to be a one-off, maybe one-hour documentary. I actually shopped it around a little bit, and we discovered that people really were gravitating towards the team. These um, four or five friends that were doing this incredible stuff. So it was more about them than the shipwrecks themselves that they were interested in. So how did you move this idea from a documentary to a series? We realised very quickly that there was more interest in a series. I, I took it away to a documentary conference and I came back with about five different international distributors that wanted to do something. We had great support from Screen West, which is the, um, the screen agency in Western Australia. And um, they gave us some development money and we brought on um, an executive producer, very well known, the former head of the Australian Broadcasting Corporation's factual department. He started shopping around. We're talking to Channel 9, we're talking to, you know, trying to get into Netflix's ear and so on and so on. And um, Disney has never commissioned anything in Australia before this point. He just, he knew someone that worked at Disney and he said, I'll just, how about I have a coffee and we'll put this in front of him. We've got a really good project. And, and lo and behold, he says, well, look, Disney's thinking about moving into commissioning and this is just the right project. So it then moved very quickly. Um, It got in, in front of the people that needed to see it at Disney. And um, within literally a couple of months, we were talking about contracting.
0: And you had a great team at the heart of the show.
2: a lot of people when they watch the series they think that we must have um, done a whole casting process to put together this incredibly unique team we've got um, a really salty kind of piratey captain covered in tattoos who's obsessed with shipwrecks a master mariner we've got noosh who's just the most incredible underwater photographer brilliant in the water ryan johnny and andre who are all mates that were commercial divers and incredible filmmakers who've all got this passion so that they already existed so you don't have to go through that process of casting for this idea that you might have
1: yeah johnny andre and i were offshore commercial divers nush is andre's partner and but she was her she was in her own right uh, underwater cinematographer and filmmaker and photographer and captain ash is just a salty sea captain that's been driving fishing boats and tug boats and you know anything he can um pretty much for his whole life and we met him down the wharf one day where he was swearing and carrying on banging stuff on a boat and you know he said what are you guys doing and, and we and we jumped on his boat and we started chatting to him and told him of all these big ideas and uh we, but we didn't have a boat he goes, well, I've got a bloody boat. You can use my boat. And uh, and sure enough, that's where it all
0: started. But you weren't looking to just do a reality doc with this cast of great characters, were you? You, you wanted to use those stories
2: to help explain something more meaningful. Equally, we wanted to tell the story about marine wildlife, the adventure, the locations that we were going to, and that the historical storytelling needed to be experienced in a contemporary sense. So you learn about it through their experience. So we go off on a mission and as they learn, we the audience learn. You were blessed with a great location to be filming in wa coastline is known as the shipwreck coast or the treasure coast as some people refer to it that's because it was a lot of the the early dutch ships that came up going um, on the spice trade to batavia often carrying a silver and gold and so on and the, the historical old shipwrecks you know 16 1700s
1: yeah that's right that's what's really special about the west australian coastline there's over 1600 shipwrecks along the coast with only you know less than a quarter of them that have been found with so many shipwrecks along the WA coast, because they're all, you know, crossing the, the bottom of South Africa there and heading up to Batavia and Indonesia and then coming unstuck. They had very limited navigation back then and, and also a lot of the time they were just really drunk. So there were some mistakes that were made um, all along the coast.
0: With all that history in the region, how do you pick the wrecks where you can, could tell a really engrossing story? We
1: needed more compelling stories to tell for the series and that's where we teamed up with the WA Maritime Museum and they brought in uh, expertise and and years and years of really strong, solid research on all these shipwrecks. But there's still things that needed to be found out. Still positively identifying the wrecks uh, is really, really difficult.
2: Well, the series actually also includes two maritime archaeologists from the West Australian Museum, Dr. Ross Anderson and Dr. Deb Sheffy both incredible divers as well. And they really brought that archaeology and history uh, knowledge to the series as well and helped us to identify the real missions around what's missing in these stories. We also pay great respect to the pioneers, the shipwreck hunting pioneers of Western Australia. There's many of them. And everyone talks about that, you know, no one person discovers a shipwreck unless you're incredibly lucky. Um, So we know that there's decades and decades of research that has gone into these um, discovering certain shipwrecks and the stories that, that surround them. You've said some people call it the
0: Treasure Coast, Is that where the excitement of these dives comes from? Is that what's most
2: valuable about what you're doing? All of us, when we're thinking about shipwrecks, we think about treasure, right? You want to see the nice shiny things and, you know, did you find any coins and all those sorts of things. And of course, that's something that really entices us. But at the same time, what we learnt is that the, the capturing the shipwreck sites on camera is a real treasure as well that you can share. Um, but also protecting the sites in terms of conservation of the marine environment, but also so that other people can go back and dive them as well and know that they haven't been changed is something that's really important too.
0: Yes, that takes us back to what you said earlier about experiencing the dives with Ryan and, and the team and learning alongside them. Was it important to dive on unexplored locations?
1: We sort of selected ones that still had a story to tell and had captivating survival stories as well. Some of them um the, when you when you watch the series, you see that the survival stories of what these guys went through when they went through the most horrendous wrecks, most of it was in cyclones that swim incredible distances from from the um the wreck to the shore and then survive in some of the most inhospitable landscape you could ever imagine.
2: The other side of that as well John is that um we're always remembering that, you know, shipwreck stories are really exciting and they're a great story to tell. But it's also a, a story of loss. You know, if you remind yourself of that, this is the place where a number of people have died. And if you think about it from that point of view, too, it be, can become quite solemn as well. And we had the amazing experience of being able to contact descendants of a particular shipwreck, which is just, it gives me chills now. This undiscovered shipwreck from 1912 that was had 22 Finnish crew on board, one survivor who managed to make it ashore in a cyclone, who then lived on this island for three or four days in the scorching heat of Western Australia before he was picked up from a passing pearl lugger. We do this extensive research and managed to find descendants in Finland and then Ryan and Johnny got to contact this guy who's in his 80s and whose family didn't know the story. The grandson of the survivor who's in his 80s now, Ryan and Johnny uh, contact him and, and changed that family's story forever. Because they didn't know of this, um, this, the grandfather who had had this experience in his early 20s. He became a farmer after that. He left the ocean behind. And we think, probably, the trauma that he suffered, he decided not to share that story for the rest of his life. That was just incredible, you know, on a different level. It's not a wildlife moment. That's a real, like, human connection moment that, um, that's kind of life-changing.
0: But there were some great wildlife experiences too, as well as these moments of human connection through time. I'm guessing you can't script those interactions.
1: There was one deep dive that we did where as soon as you leave the surface, you just go through these layers and layers of, of marine life. So you leave the top and then all of a sudden you're in the middle of a vortex of these thousands and thousands of trevally circling you, you know, looking at you and then you get below those and that's when you start to see the big cod swimming around and then down below them is the stingrays and then you hit the bottom and you've got the sharks and the huge coral trout and then the sea snakes and it's just layer upon layer of of marine life and they may not have even seen humans before down there so they're not shy we could get really really close with them because i don't think they'd seen many divers before some of the wrecks we were in really high wave and wash zones, so very shallow reef, and we was looking at these huge cannon that had been um, jettisoned off the off the wreck in an attempt to make the boat lighter. They dropped all their cannons onto the reef, and we We, we could see these cannons there, but it's also in a really high impact surf zone, so huge waves crashing over our head, um, and we'd have to dive down and hang onto the reef just so we didn't get washed away into a huge gutter. So, you know, that's just so exciting. It's some of the hardest diving and swimming that you could do, but also one of the best days I've ever had just getting smashed by these huge waves in crystal clear water, but you know, surrounded by cannon hundreds of years old um, was just incredible. In our scenario when you're an underwater filmmaker you really have to be in the water to get those shots when you look for something it's very hard to 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 find it but when you spend spend the time in the water floating around it it seems like that sort of stuff comes to you and we had a day where we were just just floating around it was deep water and and then we were filming a few little things a crab and a sea snake and nothing really that that exciting and then t- uh, two dolphins um came in and we were all sort of woohooing through our snorkel and we started swimming with these dolphins and then as we were you know filming these two dolphins this the rest of the pod, uh, another 10 or 15 strong, sort of swam over our shoulder and down into the shot and into the frame that we were holding with these other two. And two became 15. And we just spent the time the next half an hour swimming alongside this amazing pod of dolphins. And they interacted with us and they played with us and they were fully conscious of, 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 of who we were and what we were doing in a sense. And, and they were purposely interacting and playing.
0: Oh. That must have been a a once-in-a-lifetime moment, one you won't forget easily. So, you're on the boat with these guys, Brendan, helping them tell the story. Do you find yourself getting caught up in the excitement
2: Oh, absolutely. Like all the time, actually. In fact, I have to be careful because I've got to make sure that I stay quiet as well. So, it's you know, Ryan might surface and say, you won't believe what just happened. These dolphins swam over the top of us. And and I'm just trying to, I want, I want to cheer with him as well, but I've got to stay quiet so we could capture it all on camera. I'm in all sorts of positions when I'm on the boat because obviously I've got to hide as much as I can. So there's some great behind the scenes photos of me, you know, lying on my back in amongst everyone else's feet, uh, you know, with, with a little monitor that I'm looking at. Um, that's, you know, a feed from the camera, um, and calling out to our director of photography, you know, what shot to go to next or hang on, Ryan, don't just jump in yet. We need to reposition the camera to, to, um, to see you enter the water or whatever. So,
0: it must take a lot of specialist equipment to do that, to get underwater and capture the diver's experiences on camera.
1: Yeah, so we we use a you know a lot of kit, and we do use rebreathers on the series as well. Uh, it just gives you extended bottom time. So any 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 deep diving over eighteen plus meters, you, obviously you're you're at the uh, the mercy of of dive tables and your time is limited on the bottom to prevent sort of any sort of injury decompression illness stuff like that we had a lot of other tech we used rovs we used drones we used a hundred thousand dollar underwater camera setup that shoots the highest of quality
0: rovs are remotely operated vehicles that are tethered to a boat and manually operated from the deck. They can be equipped with a host of equipment such as sensors, lights and cameras and and are used to explore the subsea.
1: We have to implement using the rov sometimes because you can only dive a couple of times or twice during the day at those depths but there's still so much to explore Um, so we use the rovs to to do a lot of the legwork for us and that allowed us to be more efficient and precise in our search areas when we did go back uh, scuba diving and it's also really quite um, interesting for the viewers as well a lot of people love the technical side of it so you know underwater magnetometers uh, Multi beam surveys, those sort of things, really just through this really technical arsenal at everything that we could um, to try and get the best result.
2: The other thing to remember also is that there's the the production crew as well. So we've got myself and a, a camera operator and a sound operator that's constantly following these guys around. And if we're out racing towards, you know, big oceans towards a, a dive site. Um, We're filming all along the way, and some things can happen in that as well in terms of your camera gear. Oh, any stories to share? There's this one story where we're out at um, the Montebello Islands and um, on our fast boat, uh, and uh, our camera operator's up the front filming the um, Captain Ash as he's driving the boat, and then just out of nowhere we hit a bigger wave. And, you know, you have that sort of – it's almost like you're an astronaut. You sort of have that moment where you're almost levitating – and everyone's holding onto a seat, but um, obviously our camera operator's not holding on to anything. And I saw him for a moment kind of just hang in the air like a pancake. And of course he's got to come down and bang, he just hits the ground and thankfully he was okay.
0: There are always risks at sea though, aren't there?
2: You mentioned
0: decompression tables, Ryan. A lot of our listeners won't know why you need these. What risks are you facing down there?
1: every dive is exposed to something called nitrogen narcosis when you're diving generally anything over 18 meters and deeper we, we breathe in nitrogen every day and it's an inert gas but when you're under pressure underwater you, you know you have to it, it saturates your tissues and you need to be able to get that nitrogen out before you um sort of come to the surface and it's a really uncomfortable feeling can, can cause you know anxiety underwater and you can you can you solve it by just coming up and making coming up into a shallower depth but often you're so confused you're not thinking clearly that you can't even manage to do that so yeah in the series Johnny does um, suffer a little bit from that on one of the deeper dives uh, and and Andre and I noticed that really early and that's what's part of being a tight team is you really learn each other's behaviors underwater and you can tell when someone's not not themselves so we identified that johnny was suffering a bit of that in a little bit of trouble so we took his task away from him got him to concentrate on us and, and communicated with him and then uh, he managed to finish off the dive and come to the surface but it's one of those unnerving things that rattles you he, he wanted to sit out the next dive which is a wise move because you've got to have you've got to be in the right mindset uh, and you've got to feel comfortable underwater uh, because yeah, it's very easy for it to go pear-shaped very quickly
0: facing some real risks on these expeditions having these adventures seeing the wildlife and and learning about the the tough stories of the sailors who died in or or struggled to survive the wrecks must mean a lot to you do you do you see a broader meaning to it too we've
1: been handed the torch in a, in a sense just because we're you know, the guys that have been before us have they did all the really st- hardcore exploration 30 years ago, 40 years ago, uh, and they did it much tougher than us. They didn't have the technology, they didn't have the access they they did really really tough work but we're very respectful to them and like Brendan said it takes a lot of people putting in a lot of effort over a long period of time to to tell these stories and to piece it all together so we just feel very privileged to be a part of that of that process and hopefully we can in, inspire the younger generation to to see that maritime archaeology is really cool and you can go on some incredible adventures we have thankfully got the blessings of all those all those pioneers.'ve We've included a lot of them as much as we can um, and and receive feedback. And we're always very conscious of uh, you know consulting them when we could and, and asking their advice and and being respectful to the work that they've done.
0: In some of our previous Planet Beyond podcasts, We heard from people who had a plan from the outset, I like to say a crystal clear vision. For me, Ryan and Brendan and their equally remarkable colleagues shared a story that's brought us to a point today where exciting, inspiring discoveries are possible. But as with many of us, it wasn't what they necessarily envisaged from the outset of their careers. Of course, those moments of discovery and excitement don't come from nowhere. Instead, we can make space for success, through the journey, by building supportive and trusting relationships with our colleagues, preparing for tomorrow by taking calculated risks, getting wet, opening ourselves up to the unexpected, and continuously doing what's right with a dogged determination to deliver our best. Following a compass orientated around some basic values, well, we've just heard, can take us to places of our dreams. As the saying goes, if you like what you hear, tell your friends. You can find us on all podcast apps under Planet Beyond. And don't forget to follow us and leave your comments We'd love to hear your feedback. For the latest news and updates, follow Fugro's social media channel. Until next time, be safe, be remarkable, be the difference. So what's next for you guys? (laughs) I know it's Friday. (laughs) Uh, Probably a couple of beers. (laughs)